Welcome to Two Paley's on a Pod. I'm Bria Paley from Queens. And I'm Michael Paley from Budapest. And today we have a very special guest, our first ever guest, Michalia Schoenwald-Moss, coming from Johannesburg, South Africa. Hello, Michalia. I'm so honored. I'm so honored to be your first guest. Yeah. So cool. I can't think of nobody I'd rather have. (laughs) Me neither. So I guess we should, um, do you want to introduce yourself, Michalia? Sure. Uh, My name is Mahalia. I've been, I'm American. I'm also Israeli and I've been living in South Africa for the past, going on 15 years. So that's been a trip. And um, yeah, I've known the Paleys for, I think since I was um, a freshman in college back in the late nineties. That's right. I, I Um, I was for a time a professor at Bard College. And my favorite student of all was Bukhalia. Oh, yeah. Michael Paley, like in my in my mind, um, I still remember like a few classes so well that they could have happened yesterday. I really made a an imprint on me. And um, yeah, I think your your professorship and your knowledge and your ability to teach really um, made an impact on on a lot of us. I mean, I think your classes were the most popular classes my freshman year at Bard. Right. And turned I a lot of people on. What is that? I appreciate it greatly. And I have to say that Bard College was an absolutely wonderful experience for me. It was a little far from my New York-based family, but otherwise I would have spent my life there. It was great. Hmm. Yeah, no, I actually transferred after my freshman year um, to Columbia and then um, I stayed in touch with the Paley family and got to come to a lot of beautiful Shabbat meals and um, was great to have uh, Rabbi Professor Paley on campus and then connected with his amazing kids and struck up a very amazing friendship with Bria. And um, yeah, it's been probably, you know, 20 years now of a friendship. Yeah, that's right. Like you were living with your sister Eliana on the Upper West Side and I would go hang out with you two. And I just thought yeah, the coolest and it was so much fun for me. I got a new sister. Oh, that means so much to me. Because, you know, Mahalia and I are each the oldest of three children. And right. uh, and we've talked about, you know, how that can sometimes be a little complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the gift and the curse of the firstborn legacies. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I think, you know. Yes, it doesn't go well in the Bible, you know. <laughs> Ishmael, kind of not so easy and Isaac easier and... Mm. Esau, not so easy, and Jacob, easier, and Reuben and the other brothers, not so easy, and Joseph, easier. So uh, we know. Yeah, but you're talking about brothers, and we are women. Yes, you're women. And, and, and Mahalia, um, recently, we, I, I got to watch a, a, a podcast, or at least a, a, some kind of thing. No, from a video. A video of your incredible talk in, at Leamwood, South Africa, which I would love to come to sometime. Um, and I was kind of stunned by it. So Hmm. one of the things I'm stunned by was that, um, was that you're, you have a Hungarian background. Yes. Uh, we were also stunned by that too. Um, we didn't know much about our backgrounds until three years ago when, um, I decided to take a genealogical deep dive, um, into figuring out where, one branch of the family originated from because we we didn't really know the details um, and came to discover that the town, um, which is called Luchanek um, or Loshens, depending Luchanek. on I've been to language. Luchanek, and so I know about it. Oh, no. Oh. Um, it's, it's only about an hour and a half away from Budapest. Is it? Well, that's it's about maybe yeah, an hour and 45 minutes. It's not an easy drive, but it is on the way huh. to Popgrad, which is in the high Tatra mountains. And we and hmm. Annie and I love to go to Slovakia. We thought when we okay. moved here five years ago, we would like to go to to 
Czech Republic, but we never go there, but we love mm. to go to Slovakia, so, wow. which is- How come? For, for, it's a much more beautiful place. It's uh, mountains. Mm. There are two ranges called the Low Tatras and the High Tatras. Um, and mm. it's filled with kind of the old synagogues, including in Luchik, which, which, Luchinik, which is, mm. has a synagogue that's still there in, in the Correct. middle of the town. It, yeah, one, one, it's one apparently a landmark, um, but there are no Jews left in Luchinik, it seems. No Jews. I think it is a performance space and sometimes an art gallery. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, so so come to find out that we're from this, this my paternal, maternal side um, originated in Luchinik. Um, and we we didn't know much about that side of the family because um, during World War II, um, the Nazis came into what was then Hungary. It went from Czechoslovakia um, to a Hungarian invasion, and essentially everyone was wiped out. Um, and because it was at the end of the war, um, very few documents were were recorded. Um, and also apparently um, all the Jews, most of the Jews in, in Luchnik were deported to Auschwitz and two transports in late 1944. And they also were sent straight to the gas. They weren't even tattooed. So, um, so, so come to find out we're from Luchnik and come to find out that we're, you know, part of the Austro-Hungarian empire. And so, yeah, we have Hungarian roots, um, now Slovakian. Um, and yeah, I just thank you for, for watching that talk. It was a, um, an opportunity for me to share my story. And I really believe in the importance of knowing where we come from, um, to know, you know, our framework through which we view reality um, and, struggles were born whether they're um communicated or not it's it's sort of like the the elephant in the room um coming from a family with a holocaust history um and the discovery of of who my family was from that line has really transformed my relationship to my own reality as a third generation holocaust survivor and how memory um, inherited memory sort of has this ripple effect. Um, and, and then now, you know, it's, it's, it's truth that I have, um, that we, we lost 120 family members from that line, um, during those two transports. So it was quite an incredible journey. Um, but, you know, I used, um, online tools like MyHeritage and Genie to, to, to find clues to figure out where we come from. But um, we never knew where the Schoenwald name originated from um, or who the Schoenwalds were. And now we know, hmm. um, yeah. Well, you know, um, the, the famous line, which I, I know from Elie Wiesel, but it's from a Hasidic Rebbe, um, which says that God created humanity because God loves stories. Um, and, and, and I think about you both, you, Michalia and you, Bria, um, and your, and, and this enormous story in your life, right? In some ways, you know, it's not obvious. You're, you're two women that grew up in America, you know, and not in Hungary and not in Poland and, but you have these stories behind you and Bria and I have done this podcast and we often talk about trauma. Um, on it, and and for sure, it's a trauma. I, I, I you know, we're almost we're between in, we're recording this in the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, um, and Sukkot, which is the long trek um, from Egypt to Israel to the Promised Land, in some way, I always feel is in order to reduce the trauma um, that was inflicted on the Israelites from slavery, you know, and and the the first order of business was for God to take the Jews, the Israelites out of Egypt. But the second order of business was to take Egypt out of the Israelites, you know, but they just expected Moses to go with them and be the Pharaoh and they would have another autocrat and a king and things like that. And no, 
No, that was not going to be it. It was going to be um, a very different society. Power would be limited. All sorts of things would happen. And 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 so here I'm s s sit with you, Michaya, where the story wasn't told, and you, Bria, um, where the story was told all the time. All well, the time. I don't know about that, you know, because because so Zeta, my my grandfather passed in um late 2021 and he did not want his story released until after he had passed and uh and so I, I was starting to watch it the other day and I realized that that I only had part of it and I had to contact the Melbourne Holocaust Museum and I have to ask for permission and and they'll get it for me but even that process of like having to to go after you know to get the story and and that 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 really there were there were secrets you know that were not revealed that i i don't even know everything that but probably I didn't you know. feel like you were brought up surrounded by the holocaust i mean you know we my talked about it all lived, the time well my grandparents lived in australia we didn't see them very much and when we did see them you know they were not easy to connect with and so it became like kind of a an awkward connection where it's like it wasn't it wasn't a conversation that that was easy to have or that flowed or, you know, I, I didn't even know what to ask or how to ask it. Mommy didn't really talk about the effects it had on her as, as the daughter of a survivor. Well, it is interesting that um, um, my wife, Annie DeBracher's father was the sole survivor of his very large family. Um, his immediate wow. family only had three brothers and sisters, but but his father's family was a family of nine. And we also went and met Annie's uh, second cousin, very close relationship. In my life, second cousins are among my closest relationships. We, Annie and I visited in Moscow. We didn't even know there was a relative there. And all of a sudden, um, Moshe Debrecher, my father-in-law said, go and find out what happened to my uncle, Isaac Debrecher, who actually was a health minister for, for Lenin and then Stalin, but was murdered by Stalin. Um, and we found his grandson, um, Victor Schneerman, who's a wonderful person, a great friend, and looks exactly like the DeBrachers, really exactly like them. Yeah. We, we met him at a hotel, and if there were 5,000 people in the hotel, we could have picked him out. That's how much, it was like, like the story that you talk about Alice and, 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 yeah. and, and Yossi, it's all of a sudden reconnecting to family lost. Well, let's have Mathalia yeah, tell that yeah. too. Well, I think, I mean, just to say that, so, I mean, in part of my, part of my journey into my family's past was discovering the different responses to, you know, the Holocaust as far as a survivor, you know, the choices a survivor makes post-Holocaust, how to remember. And I think the common denominator is that even though some of my family chose not to speak, about the past, um, it was still, like my uncle calls it, you know, there was always an elephant in the room. And he says the elephant in the room was death. Mm. And that was a very deep image for me because that's that was my experience as a third generation born into, um, you know, uh, my father's mother, you know, his, his maternal side. Um, there were more survivors than his paternal side and the maternal side, you know, they did talk about it and was definitely suffering from post-trauma and had to seek help during an, an era where that wasn't so, um, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the late fifties, early sixties yeah. when it wasn't, it was still taboo, um, and, you know, uh, in discovering sort of some of the responses, you know, uh, discovering family members we never knew about, discovering um, the secrets that they either kept and took to their graves or shared, um, and discovering that a lot of family members weren't able to handle being a survivor and actually chose to end their lives. Um, and mm. that was you know, um, you know, what I say is that, you know, in discovering these lost fragments of our family tree, and some of them were still alive, 
it took me time to connect to them because I was grieving for the ones that weren't here and for, you know, and also I was dealing with anger towards my grandfather that he didn't ever tell us about anything or any of his family members. And if it, if it wasn't for technology, I think I would have never found Alice who survived, you know, she's a distant cousin of ours who as a one-year-old toddler was left on the bench of a train station while her parents were escaping a Gestapo raid on their train. And she somehow survived five years in Theresienstadt, which was, you know, when she contracted tuberculosis, um, some kind people hid her in a wall and brought her medicine somehow. And, you know, if she had been found, she would have been sent straight to Auschwitz along with the rest of her family. So she spent her entire life of 81 years thinking she was the only survivor of her whole family. Um, and three years ago, actually on, Suk on Sukkot, um, mm. I decided to make this, this, this search. I started, I decided it was my time to inquire. It was something I needed to do. And, you know, a year later we had located Alice and it took me some time to reach out to her. But when I did, she was overwhelmed and we had a family Zoom and all of a sudden there's people from all over the world, you know, meeting each other for the first time. And, well, you know, we asked, we asked Alice, you know, what's it like finding that you have actually this quite a, a miraculously large family? And she just got very emotional and she said, I'm just so happy that you're here. Um, and then all these connections that have come from that. And, you know, this, you know, the Holocaust was just, um, you know, it was a, a nightmare for so many and the nightmare doesn't go away. Um, you know, ends. I don't know, it never ends. Bria, I don't know if you have had Holocaust dreams, but I still have them. Um, and I don't know if they're inherited memory or elephant in the room memories or uh, inheritance, but these are some of the things I'm curious about. And, um, you know, I'm also curious about how secrets, when they fester, they create dis-ease. And, mm. you know, we just discovered that Alice and Yossi are actually suffering from lung cancer. Um, oh. It could be the same kind of lung cancer. And, you know, mm. I said to Yossi, who are these two first cousins that never knew that each other existed and met after 80 years, for the first time in Israel last year when we did a family reunion in person, Alice flew to Israel in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and Yossi said to me that, um, you know, his, his mother who decided when she got cancer, she decided to actually take her own life. Um, she said the Nazis couldn't kill me and um, mm. she has cancer and she's, she's just going to, choose to just take her own life. Um, and Yossi said he chose to fight his cancer. And now we're trying to rally in some way and convince Alice that she also should fight. But again, it's not, it's not really our choice. Um, but it's, it's, it's quite fascinating how um, dis-ease manifests um, from trauma. Yeah. So these are, yeah. these are big topics, but. Um, and maybe Bria, you would reflect I, a little bit on them also. Yeah, yeah, I will. Well, I was going to say. And also, I, you know, I, I, two things. I also want to ask you a question about, you know, Michalia went um, just a couple of years ago and gathered her disparate and somewhat unknown family. You've been doing that for years. Well, I have like not, not to that extent, of course, but, um, but for me, like Facebook was, was really crucial and it was mostly from the family that, that is still alive, um, which is the non-Jewish family that we have, uh, because my, my grandmother was from Rome and she was a Jew, but she, uh, her father was not Jewish and her brothers decided to marry non-Jews and have children who were not raised Jewish. And so, so we have Although all, this all of them are actually Jews, of course. Well, no, not all of them, because the brothers who married non-Jewish women, their children are yes, not Jewish. Their children are not Jewish, right. 
Right. So we have all these relatives in Italy and I've been to Italy now twice. Um, and it's, it's been fascinating. Some relatives were, were very open to getting to know me also in Australia. Um, I think you, you guys came to visit in 2009 and, um, my mother said something like, Oh, I wonder if my uncle is around. And I was like, what, what uncle? (laughs) I had never heard of this person, Ilio. And uh, he was 15, he's 15 years younger than my grandmother. She was the oldest and he's the youngest. And he followed to Australia with, with their mother, my great grandmother, Firma or Fania Katzenel and Bogan Pironi. And I, I, st- I started a relationship with these cousins. And what really shocked me was that one of them, the oldest, Lisa, lived just down the street from me in Sydney. Wow. Like really just blocks away. Um, and we and we started um, a nice connection and it sort of has fizzled out, which is disappointing to me. Um, but, you know, she she's worked in TV and really interesting woman had, was the only sibling who hadn't had children as well. So I kind of identified with wow. that, although who knows what the future holds for me at this point. But um, but I was going to say, I have not had Holocaust dreams that I'm aware of, but I do believe that I am the family truth teller and seeker, which um, is, is a complicated role to have, for sure. Yeah, and I actually identify with that, that role. Um, mm. You know, there's this concept of, um, you know, healing the generational lines and healing the trauma you know, being being the person who who steps up to that role and says, you know, there's a lot of um, trauma in our family line, and and let's look at it, and let's learn from it, and let's release it and heal. And um, I, I don't want to say that there's a happy ending to the story. There are a lot of um, happy parts of finding each other again. You know, in my own family's reunion. But people are complicated and, um, you know, I keep opening up these Pandora's boxes and I keep getting um, quite shocked by what I'm discovering. Um, and it's, it's going to make an amazing movie one day. But um, <laughs> to, be, to be the truth, the truth sayer is, is, to, uh, is to say, you know, when I declared to my family that I was going to hire a genealogist to help me on this search, um, you know, my father said to me, you know, I, I really don't need to know. And I said, you know, I, I need to know. Um, I need to know because I need to free myself of, of this um, legacy and, and the impact it's having on my worldview um, and the lens through which I see reality. And I think in the end, it was a really profound experience for my part of this journey and there was so much healing that came from it but then you're left with the boxes that are all open and having to make sense of people's choices and I think choosing to be that person in the family that says let's go there um, when most of the family you know maybe they don't feel that inclined or they're not particularly interested or they don't see the relevance um, I think that it's a it's a brave thing to do. It's necessary. And, you know, I I would, I would, um, you know, suggest, you know, I would, I would really cheer anyone on who is ready to, to take that on themselves. Um, But it's not easy and it's painful. And, um, and then there's, there's what you get from, from the discovery of what you find, which you don't know when you start. So that's the scary part. It's like jumping into the abyss. No. And so, you know, me and my dad have talked openly about what my year was like going, going to a mental hospital for two months and the psych ward before that and really feeling like I'd lost my grounding. And it was mm. just very, very scary. And I, re- I would reach out to you, Michalia, and I felt like you almost had a bit of a shaman under all of this. And, um, and it really helped me because I felt like science and medication just really wasn't the answer. I really needed something else. I, I, I do think that there's a kind of, I mean, two themes, I suppose. 
One is the restoration of family, that both of you have been in search of family, um, you know, who was lost and who might still be there. So you can piece the story together because of the elephant in the room, right? You know, the, the elephant, I guess, that we don't talk about, um, but is always there. Um, and, and the second piece is the world that was lost. I, I suppose even I, as I, I'm talking to you, I'm looking out at the beautiful Danube River, you know, but what, what am I, an American Jew, living, what am I doing living in Budapest? And, and partially what I'm doing is, I think, this world that I, I cared so much about um, that had so much richness for me that I really wanted to live in was gone, you know? And so I came back to a place, the last place that it existed, right? But as Mikhail said, Budapest survived until the, you know, the early winter of 1944 and the very beginning, first 28 days of, of 45. And it was, then it was almost gone, you know? And then the communists came. So it's even gone more than that. And I, I, I just keep on looking for hints so I can kind of, have some sense of feeling at home. Not that I'm not an American. I feel at home there to a certain degree, but there's a piece of me that that just longs for Krakow and Warsaw and, and, and those places. Which I mean, you have a Holocaust memorial just steps from your apartment. Yes, it's true. And even more than a Holocaust memorial, we have the Stolpersteins. We have these gold mm. um, shields that are fastened to the cobblestones in front of our house. Um, that say who lived in the buildings and who were murdered. And it uses the word murdered in, in Hungarian. These are the people who were murdered. Even, even the great Hungarian poet, whose name is Miklos Rodnoti, um, uh, lived in the building next to us. You know, and so, so yes, I, 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 and more than that, you know, I have this beautiful friend, Jonathan Jacoby, who lives in California. Um, and his family is from Miskolc and from Chop, which are, in in Slovak Eastern Slovakia and uh, in Eastern uh, Hungary, but not far eastern, just kind of I don't know middle middle to the east. Um, and he looks very Hungarian. And there are people on the street that I keep on thinking that he's here, you know. Okay. So I keep on I sometimes introduce myself wow. to people and say, "You don't know me, but I know a guy that looks just like you." <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. But I said, "Look, hmm. you know, come on, I want everybody to come back. You know, let's 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 have the good times again." And the and the trauma mm -hmm. of that loss is is very thick, and and we know about epigenetic uh, transmission of trauma, which I think both of you have experienced. Well, I I certainly have. I mean, what was what was interesting to me also was when I was at the psychiatric hospital, um, quite a few other Jews there had the Holocaust in their families, hmm. and you know I just can't think that that's a coincidence. Um, and, um, you know, I, I went on a, on a first date last week, my first date in two and a half years um, that mm -hmm. I went on. And, and he has this this man has a 97 year old Holocaust survivor grandmother living in Long Island. Wow. And um, she's from Poland. And I don't know too much of the story at this point, but I just I was so just like excited about it. Like, wow, like he has this person that he's close <laughs> to in his family. Yeah, you have a good chance of having the same trauma I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Trauma bonding. What a crazy people we are. We are crazy people. Um, it's well, interesting. We can, we, we like can if remember we, trauma for generations. I mean, if we talk about mental health and we talk about, about Holocaust legacy um, and we talk about how historically the healing has has really just, I mean, I think... Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, you know, I think that book helped a lot of Holocaust survivors um, who were still alive realize that they could heal if they wanted to. It was actually something that they could, their, their story was something that they could talk about. They started sharing. Um, and, you know, it, Man's Search for Meaning is about, you know, this discovery that if you know, in logotherapy, I mean, it's just so wild to think about how um, a new, you know, psychological field was created in Auschwitz. Um, but what Viktor Frankl observed was that if, if you don't have meaning, um, you need to have some meaning and you need to choose to have some meaning. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Um, and this concept of choice, and I think 
being able to look at the historical numbers of Jews who actually have depression and do suffer from, you know, mental health issues that are inherited, I believe, for a long, I mean, I, I think a lot of my own angst was definitely inherited. Um, you know, where does the Holocaust end and I begin has been a question that I've thought about since I think day one. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's vital to start talking more about, Bria, what you just said, that there were other patients in the hospital you were at who had Holocaust history in their family. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not like we're unique as a tribe. I think it's a, you know, here in Johannesburg, we have the Holocaust and Genocide Center of Johannesburg, which also commemorates the genocide in Rwanda and African school children are brought to learn about both genocides. Um, and I actually talked about this ancestral, this part of the African ancestral culture where the ancestors are honored, you know, day to day and their stories are, you know, brought along where, you know, our fragmentation as a people and our trauma as a people has been so acute and displacement and um, that we're always looking for home, maybe Michael to bring it back to home. And something I learned in this process as well is that, you know, it's not about remembering my ancestors who were murdered in Auschwitz for how they died, but trying to understand how they lived and who they were and what kind of people they were and mm -hmm. that they were, you know, cosmopolitan and they were um, mm -hmm. educated and they were funny and there was drama. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, these were people that I feel kinship with. They're, they're my family. I'm looking for them too in their home. And there's a part of me that wants to spend a lot of time in Luchanek to understand more about that because they're me i'm i'm living some of them survived and <laughs> i need to understand that part of my psych psychological makeup um and that i have a lot more in common with them than i ever could have known for example that they were neologish and mm. i'm fascinated to learn about you know the <laughs> neologish you know, the sort of enlightened Judaism of, of the times in, in Hungary. Um, but but I, I really do think that, you know, Brian, thank you for, um, you know, sharing that you felt like I could understand what you were going through. I really could, because I think a lot of our existential crises and our pain points are because we aren't able to block out certain um, realities that were either conscious or unconscious or communicated or not communicated. Um, and it's a lot to, if you see things and if you feel things that deeply, if you're a sensitive mm. person mm -hmm. um, and no one else is able to, to go there, then it is, it is lonely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, my friend sent me this book in the mail. It's called Emotional Inheritance, A Therapist, Her Patients, mm. and the Legacy of Trauma by Galit Atlas. And, um, and that book has really, has really also helped me to feel, to feel less alone in it. Uh, I was wondering, like, if you, if you're comfortable speaking about it, what, what it's been like for your sisters. Just before that, I want, I did want to mention that I'm now become um, a neologue Jew. So, so wow. I, I, you know, which is quite a fantastically interesting um, uh, philosophy and, um, and and Jewish approach, which is now demented because, you know, everybody died. So, but mm. but all most of the synagogues in Budapest are neologue synagogues, and I go to a neologue synagogue on Friday night, although not on Shabbos morning. Um, and uh, I even sometimes um, uh, visit the Jewish theological Jewish Theological Seminary of Budapest, which is the chief neologue rabbinical seminary. So I, I want wow. you to know that it's not gone. So how would you describe it? 
you know, it's, it's sometimes described as conservative Judaism, but it, it really isn't. Um, it's a it's a cross between Orthodox and Reform. So these are people that tried to reform Orthodoxy, but there's not one synagogue except a little one that's just starting last couple of years um, uh, that's egalitarian, by which I mean men and women even sit together. Forget about the Bima. Um, all the synagogues in Budapest, men and women sit separately. Um, and yet, it is the progressive movement, the neolog movement, you can hear the, the and, and, and they're the ones that drove the Satmer Hasidim so crazy, which is why the Satmer Hasidim sometimes feel like they're so crazy, even now. Um, there was a schism in 1869 to 1871, where they were made to sit in a conference, and at the end of two years of conferring to try and come together, they agreed never to talk to each other again. <laughs> it was a wow. dramatic failure. So the neolog is a kind of a, progressive re-understanding of Orthodox Judaism, except it protects the Orthodox parts of Orthodox Judaism. So it's, it, Versus which, the conservative me, movement that doesn't? The conservative movement is a historical movement. So, these, the, so mm. it sees itself as constantly part of the historical shift of Judaism. That is not true um, about the Neolog movement. They see themselves as commanded by God on Sinai, but they say the people that heard the words on Sinai, particularly the Khatam Sofer, who was from Slovakia, from Bratislava, which we call Pozhny or Pressburg, um, uh, heard the words uh, uh, incorrectly. And so they decided to repair some of the, of the practices. Most of the people, of course, in Budapest are secular completely. They wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. But if they were anything, it would be Neolog. <laughs> so it's a very live concern for us here. Uh, now I'm interested. I, I want to return to Bria's question, which is, how how did your family take all this, particularly your sisters? Well, it's an interesting question, um, and also interesting that my father's maternal line is a direct descendant of the Khatam Sofer. Uh, so I guess uh, that was an inherited schism. Um, so... I blame a lot of this up on him, even though I do love him also. <laughs> Um, you can so you can visit his grave. Is he has the most unbelievable grave, which is in Bratislava. It's underground, um, uh, and it's because they they built a uh, a roadway over it, but um, uh, they also built a, a a bus stop, which is called the Khatam Sofer bus stop. So, no like kidding. you know, Rashi and and, wow. and Baal Shem Tov never got a bus stop. So the Khatam Sofer, I think, is winning. And you hear people say, I'll meet you at Khatam Sofer. It's really the funniest thing. No kidding. That's really wild. That is wild. We, by the yes, way, are descendants that's... of the Gaon of Vilna. So just, you have nothing on us. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes. And the, um, the Katanella no, are descendants of the Maharaja Rossi. Padua. No Rossi. kidding. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you say Rashi? Yeah, Rashi, daddy. Rashi. Rashi be, before us. But the Maharam who said wow. he was a descendant of Padua, Marum Padua, and Padua is a fantastic Jewish place to visit um, in northern <laughs> Italy. Um, uh, he traced himself back to Rashi and Rashi to King David, so you never know. Wow. Well, I, this, I have this conversation to... of the three of us is brought to you by a lot of yichas, a lot of heavy, <laughs> heavy background. Well, the also traces back to the King David, so you see we're Mishpacha. Mishpacha, oh, for, for sure. sure. I'm, I've decided I'm going to go to Vilna. I'm, I'm going to make a trip to Vilna pretty soon. I'm wow. Yeah. wow. I'll go with you. Okay. Amazing great. place. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you were saying. I that think, Michael, I think. Oh, yes. Oh, so no, you were asking me about my sisters. Um, so, so my sister, my middle, my middle sister is actually an art therapist. And um, she was, she was with me like every step of the way. She helped me so much, like trying to quote regulate from the, you know, the shock of this onslaught of information that I actually received in a very short period of time about this this line of our family, and um, you know we were we were very much in it together. Um, I was she was my go to with all the boxes that I was opening up and. Um, it was it was a very it was a shared experience, um, and she was bringing in her perspectives on healing and trauma from the the therapeutic side, which I learned I learned a lot from her. 
Um, mm. My little sister, she was, she had a, um, you know, she has a, she has four, four under four. Now there's five under, uh, four under five. So she I know she's like a baby machine. Her. She's a baby machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's a, she's mommying right now. But um, I think that this whole um, experience has allowed my little sister, Abital, to um, start looking at her own Holocaust inheritance and see the actual, what she did inherit. I think she's cognizant of it in a way that I think by, by not revealing these uncomfortable truths, um, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to maybe look at. It's kind of shoved in her face. Um, and, you know, I think my, my mom was super supportive and super sensitive. And, you know, she, she really was, she said to me something very powerful. She said, you know, the second generation couldn't, couldn't do this. She said, your mm -hmm. father, his uncle, that generation, it was too close. Mm -hmm. It's up to the third generation. You're far enough removed and close enough to, to sort of be able to have that, the perspective that's necessary um, move forward. So I know that um, for myself and my, you know, myself and my sister will, you know, this isn't over. It's, it's, we're still processing and we can talk about it openly in, to, in a way that we couldn't, we wouldn't have before. So um, I think it's been a good experience overall. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested that you mentioned Victor Frankel, of course, you know, the great um, Logos uh, uh, therapy person. I do think that all of Yom Kippur is about the search for meaning. You know, you stand before God and God says, today I'm going to decide life and death. And, and if you don't have enough meaning, you know, you'll have lived a meaningless life. I'm pretty sure that the punchline of the Unatana Tokyo, the great prayer of who will live and who will die, that's immortalized by Leonard Cohen, um, is um, but with um, uh, repentance, tshuva, and, and tefillah, prayer, and 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 sadaka, um, giving of yourself, um, you'll avert the severe decree. So I'm sure the dec the severe decree is not death. We all die. The severe decree is living a meaningless life, and and I'm sure that that's what Victor Frankl connected to. But on the other hand, this Primo Levi, um, who wrote these unbelievable books and then just could not bear life anymore and, and ended his life, and I do think that that is the challenge of the three G, the third generation. You know, how, what, yeah. what will be, you know, what, how will we process this? You know, Annie and I, my wife and I, um, uh, um, we always joke because usually we, we mention the Holocaust before breakfast. Um, and we, and we look at our watches just to make sure we mention it early enough every day. But, <laughs> but in the long run, that's also, you know, in order to relieve some of the trauma that has accrued in both her as a family and me as part of a people. You know, and in Israel, you can also feel it. So, so this twin search for meaning and giving up on meaning is the struggle of our people in some ways. It is what I believe, you know, the, the long trek of Sukkot is really about. Well, also, I wanted to say that, Michalia, um, you made a, a big decision. You were, going to, you were going to go back to Israel where your family is and leave South Africa. And then COVID hit and you, you didn't do that. Yeah, and it's interesting in Holocaust and Israel and tribal trauma inheritance and Holocaust inheritance in the same sentence before coffee. Um, I think my Yom Kippur this year was, I was mourning. Um, I, I was mourning because of, you know, uh, you know, thinking about my ancestors and I was mourning because of what's happening in Israel right now. Um, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the situation in Israel is, is painful, um, regardless of what side you're on. Um, and, you know, this feeling of home, and it's interesting that all of this is coming together, um, Bria and your question, because, um, I really wanted to go home. I was I was ready to go back to Israel, where my family lives. 
Um, and then COVID hit and I had to learn how to submit and trust the process. That was very difficult for me because as a third generation survivor, I'm like ready to go and everything's mm -hmm. planned and everything's packed and we got the we got the roadblock and, and the airport closed and, you know, Israel, the whole world shut down. Um, and I actually fell in love with Africa, with South Africa during COVID because um, mm. we had nature, we had animals and we, we were able to spend time together as a family in a way that we never had before. And, you know, life took, a, you know, the priorities all shifted and inverted. And, um, and I actually felt safe here with my family. I was triggered in a big way by COVID. I felt like, a, you know, is this another Holocaust? Are we going to all die? Are we going to mm. survive? How am I going to protect myself and my family? And then Israel felt like the clear, like I just was desperate to get there because Israel was sort of it appeared to be very much far ahead of the rest of the world with the vaccines that were available and protocol that was being taken, et cetera. And today, you know, um, thank goodness we, we seem to have survived COVID um, in this moment and the borders are open and the passports are ready and we could go and leave South Africa, which is a country that's facing its own um, you yeah. know, issues and challenges um, and where there's a lot of uncertainty as well. Um, but with what's happening in Israel right now, it doesn't feel, <clears throat> I've sort of realized on Yom Kippur, and this is what I was grieving, is that it doesn't feel like home anymore. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure where home is anymore. You know, I'm a yeah. American, Israeli, South African. I could be Slovakian if I wanted to take on citizenship of my ancestors. I'm a global citizen. I'm proud of that. I love traveling. Um, I love learning from different cultures. And you know, I'm a I'm an Israeli, and and that that's where my family is. But right now, you know, the the larger family of Israel is is historical moment and we don't and there's a lot of uncertainty and we don't know where we're going right now um part of me is very guilty about not joining in you know in that that I'm just watching from afar but I also have to be authentic and say this isn't my this isn't my war right I need to make sure my family's healthy and they're in the place you know the place that's the best for for them and for us right now. And I don't think Israel at this moment is, is in a healthy, healthy place. Um, but I know it's not, you know, this is a moment in time and let's see where we go from here. Um, mm -hmm. But, but it, it's a heavy time in our calendar as a, as a people and, and the holidays sort of accentuate that. Um, and what you know what 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 are we choosing as our meaning right now as a individual and as a nation um what's our meaning you know can i, I do ask, know like, what, oh sorry go ahead oh bria can i ask what it's like to be a jew in south africa but just before that i want to mention that you know your grandfather um fled he was a teenager and he fled um, and everybody that stayed home, his brothers, his mother, his father, his cousins, and everybody, none of them survived. Um, and so the story behind the meaning in our family in some ways is fleeing. Um, and, mm. you know, none of us really kind of, you know, are comfortable living where we grew up. We, we've moved a lot. Um, and Bria's well, I'm living, living where I grew up and it's, it's weird because you're not even here and every, yeah, everything's changed and the family yep. home is gone. But yeah. you've lived in saw that you've lived in Australia and you've lived in San Francisco and you've and you've traveled quite a lot. In fact, I feel like you've traveled everywhere. I've I've been to South Africa. You've been to South Africa. <laughs> Not only yeah. a really nice place in South Africa, but the yeah. the fact is that the, this this moment of between Yom Kippur and, and Sukkot, Yom Kippur was the holiday in which the high priest would go into the temple in Jerusalem. It was a static um and um uh um, and 
fixed place for the temple. And the temple is destroyed, and and we went on, uh, became much more nomadic. The first temple, really. The second temple, we weren't exiled, and we left anyways. We all mostly left on our own. Um, and so there's always that struggle between one and the other, between we're the global cosmopolitan citizen or we're the or the urban dwellers. And mostly the global cosmopolitan move around, move as much as you can, is the one that's one as the Jewish people. It's very hard to think of us in, in, a, in one place. Bria's uncle, who lives um, in the territories in, in Israel um, and is a uh, Lubavitcher chassid, you know, he's willing to do almost anything to make that a place that he can stay. And, and, and I think it's probably a different way, for sure it's a different way than I would understand it, but I understand the impulse. Can't run anymore, you know? We have to stand our ground, we have to be tough, we have to be, you know, we have to be vigilant. And that is really a struggle in between the two sides. Bria, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I oh, want no, to say okay. that. You know, this is the nature of a podcast with three people, but I, I'm really loving it. Um, but but also, like, didn't, like, um, Zeta, my grandfather, he, he told his father, you know, that he'd gotten this tip that it was, like, that they should leave. And his father said, no, we're not leaving. No, his father said he could leave, but not to tell his mother. Because yeah, his but, mother for sure would say, the don't rest leave. Of the family, he said the rest of the family was not going to leave. That's right. Yeah. So the rest of the family is gone. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. The rest of the largest family, right? All of, all of Moshe's um, uncles and aunts, of which there were many, both in Mogilev and in, 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 in Prujana, none of them survived. Not even one. The only one that survived was the one that had gone to Russia in 1917. You know, oh, Irina? And, 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 and he was he was killed by Stalin only, but he'd already had children and grandchildren. So then, who is who is Irina? Irina. Irina is the is yeah one or two more Rosa Irina. I can say, I can I mention I can mention all their names. They're the every once in a while ch children of the of the brothers of your great grandfather. Yes, that's all. Yeah. It, which is almost nobody. To tell you the honest truth, it's, it's, it, it for me, it's, it's gives me the chills, but also sad that Mahalia's family lost about 125 people, and your family also lost about 125 people. Yeah. Why? And and by the way, in, in the story, this just you know for us a very powerful story. I, I about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I went to a lecture in Budapest um, by a very fine Holocaust scholar. He. Um, um, was talking about the Holocaust in West, what's now Western Belarus, which was then Eastern Poland, and and he and he said all the people there were killed by the townspeople. And I said, no, my 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 father-in-law's family went to Auschwitz. He said, no, they didn't. And I said, oh no, they did for sure. <laughs> and he said, no, they they're gone. That's for sure. But they were they were probably killed in Prajan itself. All the Jews of Prajan were killed in Prajan, um, and that rocked the story that we knew so much, it was almost unbearable. We spent the whole year worrying about whether this was true or not. And then only, only when we went to Auschwitz itself, I, where I've been many, many times, more than I could, can bear almost, did we find out that one train went from Prujana and it had, and it had my wife's family on it and, and, and they all perished. Um, and in mm. some way, the rest, restoration of that story was as terrible as it was, was crucial to moving forward, you know? Otherwise we had the wrong story. And having the wrong story would destroy the sense of meaning that was that's so neatly packed and so delicately balanced. It's 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 quite extraordinary, you know, what happens after after two generations of a trauma. Maybe it'll happen in Rwanda, maybe it'll happen in Srebrenica, maybe it'll happen in all sorts of places around the world, but it it doesn't go away. It certainly doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. You, you we, we probably have to end, but Bria went to this uh, uh, to talk to a, a person named Bissell Vanderkoll, who talks Bessel. about the mm. Bessel, talks about how the body keeps the score. And, and I'm sure that's right. I'm sure the stories are in both of your bodies. Yeah. Yeah. But what what is it like being yeah. a Jew in South Africa, Michalia? Well, just to tie it all together, picking up with the Lubavitcher Rebbe and, and Bria, your uncle, who, who's not going anywhere. So, you know, I married um, my husband, Ephraim, who actually went to Mayanot and became a Chabad. He has a Chabad smicha from 
a rabbi here in Pretoria. Um, and we've been privileged to be part of this very interesting young Lubavitch community um, in Joburg. Um, and what I find absolutely fascinating about Lubavitch or what I've learned um, about the Lubavitch culture is that because the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, you know, his famous saying was, um, make every place Eretz Yisrael. Mm. Like wherever you're at, yep. you know, like sending the, the, the emissaries, the, the shlichim out to the far corners of the world. It's not like there's a lot of um, turnover, a very low turnover rate. And I think that's, you know, the, the Chabad, you know, movement owes the success of, of their efforts to the fact that their emissaries don't leave. Um, you know, when I was volunteering in Kathmandu in 2007, the same sure. rabbi and rabbitson at Chabad are still there. And they adopted an Nepali child and they have the largest Pesach seders in the world in Kathmandu. Um, I think there's a lot to say for that. And, and what's to answer your question about being a Jew in South Africa, um, there is a feeling amongst the Chabad community here, which is quite large, that because the Rebbe said back in, I think the 90s, when, when people were, when apartheid ended and, you know, this new democratic South Africa was emerging, that South, the Rebbe famously said, South Africa will be good for the Jews before Mashiach and after Mashiach. Mm. Um, and there's a small turnover rate of the Chabad community in South Africa because they really believe what the Rebbe said. And that's um, had a ripple effect to the rest of the Johannesburg Jewish community, which is primarily quite orthodox, um, traditional, um, and also Mizrahi, like B'nai Kiva, and also Habonim, that's sort of the I would say the South African Jewish community is the most Zionistic diaspora community in the world at this stage, but it's also quickly shrinking. So also COVID, the, the rate of immigration was very high. So it's a, it's a community that's quite insular. It's quite the Jews in South Africa historically were part of anti-apartheid efforts. They were activists. Um, it's very interesting. We could do a whole nother podcast on yes. it, but um just to say that it's a community that um, is also living in uncertainty, um, is also trying to keep up with, you know, the global politics and the implications on, you know, being Jewish in Africa um, and where Africa is going. And um, that being said, it's, it's, you know, it's privatized to the point where we have our own security force. Um, we have, uh, you know, a community that, you know, uh, supports each other. There's a free loan society, there are soup kitchens, there's orphanages, there's no Jew in the Jewish community in South Africa. Um, there's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's quite profoundly um, set up that way. It has historically been, and there's a, there's a element of like, you know, this is a community that everyone's proud of and it's a lovely place i think to raise our kids they're getting a good sense of jewish pride and they're getting you know jewish literacy learning hebrew torah learning and good secular studies and mm -hmm. this um sort of unadulterated zionism which isn't you know the politics don't really <laughs> come in here it's sort of like it's old school i would say and are you are you working? Yeah, so my husband and I actually um, are working. We have a, a climate tech company. Um, we're working on bridging the finance gap in climate mitigation for, um, and it's actually been a really exciting journey. Um, Let's work on saving the planet for our children. You know, that's our tikkun olam expression right now. And um, it's, it's been very, it's been a great journey learning about um, all that. And um, I'm also working on a screen about my family's story. And um, yeah, we're here for now. 
incredible. Africa's home for now. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to visit you. My dad to Limud, Limud over there. Yeah. I was invited once, but that would my, be amazing. My grandson came instead. So, well, thank you so okay. much, Michalia. I think we have to. Yeah, Michalia, this was amazing. So grateful for it's you. It's been wonderful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And I can't wait to listen because there were, I was taking notes. Yeah, me <laughs> I too. want to revisit all that. that. <laughs> that was quite profound. Yeah. And guys, just wishing you a Shana Tova, Gamar love. And to be continued, I hope. Oh, yeah. I hope well, to be continued we'll for the rest of our lives, or at least for the rest of mine. Amen. 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 Amen.